Well, today on Rethink Real Estate, we've got the one, the only Mr. Jim Casey. Jim has been an agent with the Harcourts Network now for a number of years and one of our consistent top performers. Not to mention, has he been a real estate trainer that's traveled all over North America, training people on real estate, the technology in the early stages of it implementing in the Remax system, but also absolutely hilarious guy. I really enjoy Jim's company and he has been one of our pioneers within the auction process, primarily based out of Burbank in LA, um, is that Jim has been an absolute asset in that marketplace, having a 100% success rate with all of the auctions that he's done. We speak deeply about the auction process and how it fundamentally has changed his business and also some really good philosophy on real estate itself. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Jim, welcome to Rethink Real Estate. Thanks, Ben. I'm excited to be here. One of the things that uh, I get an incredible kick out of on a daily basis, well, not daily, but certainly a regular basis is your commentary on social media has to be one of my favorite things in the world to actually watch and also not only like watch and read, but realistically the comments that happen when you put the tips up and you where first of all, for one, for those that need to follow Jim on social, we'll put all the links in the in the bottom notes. But second okay. to that, second to that is that where do you find the photos and the comments of the tips in real estate that you do? You know, a lot of them come from real estate mastermind websites where people are just posting crazy stuff that they've seen. Um, I get a lot from um, you know other stuff. I'm a I'm I'm kind of like an addicted handyman. So I've been fixing things all my life. So I go on YouTube all the time and I'm always, you know, trying to figure out how to do things. So a lot of this stuff just comes to me. I just don't go searching. What's really funny about it now, Ben, is people send me these now. It's like I've, I've kind of gotten this, this uh, reputation. And so people send them to me and go, okay, let's see what you're going to you know, do with this one. So it's been a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm glad we're recording this because I'm going to show it to my wife. <laughs> who says how completely ineffective that stuff is. And, you know, look, I was a real estate speaker for 15 years, and I've found that sales is really education and laughter. If you can get people to laugh, um, it breaks down those barriers and, and people feel like you're, you're communicating on a more direct basis. And so humor has always been re- very important to me in uh, my business and, and in my life. So... I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well, again, I think that it's one of those things that it's not something that you often see. I think that if you can do something that's a little bit different to everyone, and we'll get to a little bit of the auction stuff and everything like that later, but I think this is a really good point of difference in the sense that, you know, you don't see these this type of humor used in real estate that often. And then if you do see it, it's a one-off sort of video that somebody does. Right. You don't see the consistency of it, that what you're applying. And I certainly get a kick out of it. And ultimately, I know based on the comments and the generation of all the people that comment on it is that everybody else that watches absolutely gets a kick out of it or sees it on social as well. So I think it's just something very, very unique that people should certainly look you up on social and actually good, and, good. And take the time. Yes. But, uh, but, you mentioned real estate speaking. 
Yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back and I want to start at the beginning of your real estate career and how you got into that that side of it, I guess, is that um, because Jim is, is probably it's a little bit embarrassing is that you've been with Harcourts for a very long time now and yet I don't know a great deal of your background. So this is a great experience for me to sort of understand that even right. though I've heard it from Donna and all of the other people. But right. tell us how real estate came to be in your life. Um, I started in 1986 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was at that time, I was a working architect working for a commercial firm and sidebar, I just, I discovered I didn't like drawing. <laughs> so, um, and along the way, um, my father-in-law had always said, if you want to buy, I, I, I started, um, doing remodeling houses when I was in sixth grade. My wow. godparents were buying and remodeling old, old homes and keeping them as rentals. So it wasn't called flipping. It was called remodeling and restoration. So I've been doing that since I was a, a, a wee lad. And when I, when I started growing up saying I really would like to buy and remodel houses, my father-in-law said, well, you should probably start by getting a real estate license. And so I did. I got my real estate license in 1986. At that time, I was driving a rusted out 10-year-old Ford uh, contractor's van. No, this is no lie. No seats in the back. No seats. <laughs> yes. And so when I go on listing appointments, I would park around the block. Now this is Minneapolis in you know February, so <laughs> you'd park around the block and then you'd walk with your coat you know tucked around your you know your chin and then you'd go up and knock on for sale by owners' doors. And so that's how I got started. And ironically, within the first two months of the business, I became a top listing agent. And here's the mystery of, of real estate. And as a speaker, I've always tried to expose it is I was the top listing agent because I took two listings in one month. <laughs> so, so, so that'll give you an impression of you know, how, how hard it was to be at the top at that time. Um, so I, I did that. And I, along the way, got to see people like uh, uh, Floyd Wickman, who uh, was a great motivator for me of, when I got to, went to see him speak. In fact, after seeing him speak, he he had said, you're not in real estate until you fire a client. And ironically, I had the worst client of my, of my first year in that who was just abusive. He would call me. I'd listed the house with his wife. And then when he came in town, he was just intolerable. And so I decided, you know what? I'm leaving this seminar. I'm going to go do exactly what Floyd did. And as I got closer to the house, my courage went down. And I ended up, instead of running up and pulling my sign out of the yard, I kind of got down on my knees and I crawled under the window and I was taking the lockbox off the front door. This is a true story. And the door opened and the wife came to me and said, what are you doing, Jim? And I, I looked up and I said, well, I, I, I just found out today that I don't have to work with you. So I'm taking my lockbox, I'm taking my sign and I'm going home. Nothing, no offense to you, but I just can't work with your husband anymore. Um, long story short, she ended up putting her wedding ring on the table for her husband and saying, you get him to come back and list this house or I'm out of the marriage. I swear to wow. God. True story. Wow. Wow. So, um, so I, I, I had a lot of crazy stuff. Um, then I started teaching real estate pre-license and continuing it in Minneapolis. And that's when I really got excited. I mean, I love, I love teaching. I, I've right. always loved it. Um, Coldwell Banker then hired me as the upper Midwest trainer uh, for Minnesota and Wisconsin. So I was, I was the first contract trainer for Coldwell Banker University. And I was an independent contractor, which scared all the rest of them. They'd never had somebody that was like a part-time person. Um, from there, uh, I went in to manage a 60 agent office. That was a fascinating experience. And uh, then I was kind of pulled out of all of that by a fellow instructor 
who wanted to introduce me to computers. And I was very intimidated by it, but the company was called Superstar Computing. And we introduced laptop computers. And we're talking about monochrome, you know, laptops that were, the laptop itself was like $2,500. And I, as God is my witness, Ben, these had 30 megabyte hard drives, <laughs> 30 megabyte hard drives. And so we traveled around the country and we set up these hands-on classrooms. And from there, um, Remax got their attention on me and started inviting me to come to speak at their conferences. And I then got hired by a software company called Online Software that had a Remax product called Agent 2000. It was called Online Agent. And from there, uh, that kind of catapulted my speaking career. Right. Uh, then Century 21, you know, decided to go with that platform. So I did 55, 60 events for for Century 21 in a, in a year's time. I actually shared the stage with Mike Ferry a number of times and Tom right. Ferry. Right. Uh, and that was fascinating. So I spent a great deal of time. And then 2008 hit all events. It was worse. To be honest, it was worse than COVID. <laughs> all conventions were canceled. I had been speaking at NAR, CAR, at, at all the large conventions. They all canceled. Just everybody canceled. So yeah. my income dropped 95% overnight, just like that. And so I was at that time, we'd moved out to California so our kids could pursue acting. And I thought, well, I, I know realtors out here. I'd met a ton of people through Howard Britton's Star Power program. So I started interviewing with a number of those agents. I got my real estate license. There were no real, you know, solid connections. So I ended up going to a Remax office and restarting my real estate career using the, the experiences I had from the Midwest. And here's, this is a very interesting point. And this, this leads me to Harcourts. And, and by the way, the first time I heard of Harcourts was when I spoke at NAR. Yeah. And this was 15, 20 years ago. And I was approached by a Harcourts person who wanted me to fly to Australia. And I just remember laughing hysterically saying, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, I'd love to do it now. Um, but I jumped back into real estate and I started doing what I was doing in the Midwest, which was pre-inspecting my listings. Right. And in 2010, that was unheard of out here. And everybody yeah. in my office said, how do you get a seller to do that? Yeah. And I look at them and say, how do you not recommend it to a seller so we can eliminate, you know, we can find problems, we can eliminate objections, and we can also create this transparent transaction. <laughs> so what, what happened with was within about five years of that, all of a sudden, state of California added the, 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 in the listing agreement, has the seller done a home inspection? And I was like, yeah. And so I had to teach people, other agents, because they thought, well, if you're putting an inspection report out, that must mean that it fell out of escrow. And I said, no, 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 no. The seller did this. They're providing it to you. Yeah. And so that was how I started to realize what I was doing was very different from my, my colleagues. And the irony of all this was I was working with a buyer, a client of mine who's I'd sold his penthouse townhouse and we were out. He had to find a place and move in in 30 days. And so he, I was sending him MLS listings. He called me and he said, what is this, this auction listing? What do you know about auctions? And I said, I don't know anything about them at all. I'll be completely honest with you. Don't know anything about it, but let's go. And it wasn't a hard courts. It was <laughs> a, it was a third-party organization that a local real estate office in Pasadena had hired. Okay. So we went out and it was, I, first of all, I had to get used to the fact that there was this window that we could see the property. 
So I said, we got to go during this time. I, it was the first open house I ever walked into that there were over 100 people in the house. I mean, it was insanity. And my client immediately fell in love with the property. Just uh, he, he turned to me and he said, I want it. I want it. <laughs> and I remember the house was listed at 950000 you know, considerably below market. We both right. knew that. Right. And so I went to the listing agent and I said, how do we make an offer on the property? And the agent said, don't talk to me, talk to the, to the auction representative. So, okay. So I wandered over to her and I said, how do we make an offer on the property? She said, well, you can register for the auction. I said, when's the auction? She goes, it's in about 40, 45 days. I said, we don't have 45 days to wait. I mean, my client would like to make an offer on the house now. And she laughed at me and said, well, you don't know anything about auctions. No, oh, geez. And then she turned to me and she said, and by the way, with my client right next to me said, and by the way, we don't pay your real estate fee. We don't pay your commission. You'll have to have your client do that for you. <laughs> and at that point, my client tapped me on the shoulder and said, Let, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I, I've seen enough. And so this is an absolute true story. Got in the car. My client said, do you have the MLS sheet on this property? I said, yeah. And he goes, pull that out. He says, what's the asking price? I said, 950. He goes, write down 1.2. I said, what's that? He goes, that's the offer I would make today. 1.2 million on this house. And I right. looked, I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah. He goes, but we've got four more houses to see. So let's go. And so we did. We got in the car, went out, found him another house, bought it, closed and I told him, I'll keep an eye on this property because I'm as confused as you are. Let's see what happens. Yeah. 45 days go by, we see it go sold. So it took him 45 days to get it an offer. Then another 30 days to close it and then actually right. report the sale price. Guess what the sale price was? I'm sure that it was below 1.2. It was. It was a million one fifty. So they wow. lost a month or 45 days on the market and they lost 50 grand. It's funny that they don't allow the offers prior to auction. Was it a distress sale? No. Oh, wow. Okay. It was a third party. I, I, I'm not going to name it because it, 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 was, it was a color. I think it was like something purple, something around. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's funny. When we did the due diligence moving auction over to North America, I think I'd counted, I think, because I had to do a, a um, like a board summary report for it. And Jim, I'm, I'm kid you not, is that I think I would have, I stopped at 100 companies that had tried to do auctions in California. Right. Right. Like, like, like that had tried and failed, like all these different strategies and all these different things. You know, at the end of the day, the thing that we're very proud of is how consistent we've been for as long as what we've been. But, but realistically, is that it was just something that it felt like it, it felt like there was this, this pushing against the market. Like there was yes. this, like it was trying to prove people wrong which yeah. was the friction point that none of us ultimately want to ever experience. But it sounds like it was, it sounds like that was your experience. Oh, without a doubt. And then here's the real irony of this. So I find out what it sold for. And I'm thinking in my mind, why would anybody in their right mind do this? Why would you do this? Because the fundamental rule of real estate when I started in you know, 1986 was when someone offers you money, you take it. You know, this <laughs> idea of now you got to wait 45 days and we'll put you into a bidding war. So as God is my witness, within days of that realization and that revelation, I get a phone call from a young woman saying, hi, Jim, we, we're just reaching out to you. You're one of the top producing agents in the, in the area here. What do you know about Harcourts? I said, ooh, I, the name rings a bell, but I don't know that much. And she said, well, we're, we do auctions. What do you know about auctions? And I said, 
oh, um, and they're awful. That wasn't the word I used, but I said, they're awful. And she was, it was like a dead silent on the phone. And she said, how's that? And I told her this story. And she said, what if you could have written that offer that day and had it looked at by the seller, negotiated, and you could have purchased the property that day? How would you feel about auctions? I said, I'd be very interested. She said, well, then I'd like you to meet uh, Donna Thibodeau, uh, the broker out here in La Cunata, Flint Ridge. Uh, do you want to, when would you like to set up an appointment? I said, oh, well, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. Uh, I sat down with Donna and when she went over the process and I brought my wife, cause I was like, I'm not making another mistake. I'm not going to do this, you know, without, and she sat there and I just turned to Donna. And I said, I, I'm in, I'm in. My broker's going to die because last week, at our sales meeting, I was announced as the top agent in the office. She's going to die. <laughs> and I have nothing against her. I loved her. You know, she, they were great. It was a great place. It was three minutes. The office was three minutes from my home. And I was getting a higher commission split. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I looked at this and said, okay, this better be better than the commission split. This better be something. And, and, and here's the other point I want to make to everybody listening here. Um, I'm constantly being recruited. If you, if you sell five houses a year, you're in this market, you're a top agent. Yep. People are constantly recruiting me. And the question I always ask them is, what benefit is there of my coming to XYZ Realty that will directly benefit my client? I don't want to hear about commission splits. I don't want to hear about stocks. You know, I tell me how being with your company will be something that my client will go, oh, wow, nobody else offers that. And every time I bring that up, it's dead quiet. Yeah. The push yeah. is higher commissions. We'll give you, you know, profit sharing. We'll give you health insurance. What, you know, what, all of these different things that they put on the table. And I said, but I got to be able to justify this as to how this is going to make my client, give my clients a better, uh, a, a better experience. So, when I took a look at the whole program, and then I spent two days with you in the training, which you and I will, you know, I can't sit for two, two days. I can't. I used to teach courses that took two days. I can't do it. I, I have ADD. I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm tapping. My, my knees are bobbing up and down. I have a hard time doing it. And I will tell you, my mouth dropped. I just walked out of there going, this is, to me, in real estate, there have been two massive changes that really made a difference. The big one was going from the paper, multiple listing books that there were size of an LA you know, phone book that we get every two weeks to the computerized you know, access to the MLS. That was a game changer. That was, and, and then I would say second to that was the internet. But then seeing in the business, seeing the, the, the concept of the auction and the beauty of what we do, I think that makes our courts really great is I go on a listing appointment, not trying to get the listing. I go on the listing appointment, trying to explain the difference between the two and then asking my client, which do you prefer? That's the close. So my assumption is that I will be getting the listing. Um, the question is which works, which feels better for you. When I've done my job and explained it properly, the, the, the response I get from a seller is, why would anyone do this any other way? That's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, they, they, they really, 
they look at me and go, so I'm not going to have to have my house ready to show, you know, at a moment's notice, seven days a week. No, no. You're going to be the guy standing here representing me at the open houses and speaking to the agents. Yes, I, I give you that promise. I don't, I don't do a massive volume of transactions. What I do is I take a listing to sell it. And so as you can attest to it, I've got a spotless record. Yeah. I have yet to not sell a listing. And this is probably the more funny part of our conversation. I've yet to have one make it to auction. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the real things that I want to segue to because, you know, I, I think that there's a part of this, gym that, you know, in that situation with 100 people in the home and you had a multiple amount of people that ultimately were were interested in the one that the one that you discussed with us in the beginning that you had a bad experience with is that from looking at this from my perspective in the auction arena is that I would have said that, hey, the biggest challenge in that is that ultimately the auction date was too far away. They needed, they lost their momentum. Yes. They probably needed to bring yes. it forward. Because yes. the one thing that I can attest to though, Jim, like like this is, so if I tell a quick story to you um, and, and, and give you an understanding of where we go to from a live auction format, it's an interesting element, right? Because you see a lot of agents out there at this point that are promoting that they're selling properties quickly because inventory is low and all of that type of stuff. Now, we entered the Bay Area as a white label auction concept probably about uh, j just before COVID. And then, it, and then we didn't really pursue it. But right. realistically, we when we entered the marketplace up there in the very first degree, we've just recently sort of reinvigorated that over the last two years up there. The interesting part of what people do in the Bay Area that's different to everywhere else in North America, they do all the inspections reports and everything up front on every single listing that happens just by default it is the yes. only area in anywhere in north america that we've found that we do auctions and we do them on east coast west coast all that stuff that does that but the next part was they they said to us jim they're like well why would we do auction why, why, why would we even bother we already do that we we have an average of we have an average of three or four offers on every single listing that comes to marketplace right. why would we do an auction we set an offer date that's seven to ten days away and ultimately we have our own auction in a multiple offer situation so what we had to do in that situation we had to prove to them that they were underselling houses now as you can appreciate yes. that is a very friction that's a big friction point within the real estate industry within a yes. particular market. If you're trying to show agents that you're underselling something to give them the yes. peace of mind, because then they have a, then it's kind of like full disclosure is that once they know that and they choose to go another way, they're choosing that just for themselves, not for their client. Correct. Right? Yes. So, so, so where I'm getting to with all of this, we had a property in the Marina district. It was a two bedroom, one bathroom and okay. It was in a building. It was only two streets back from the actual water itself. Right. And then, they sold the property. They did a list price of eight hundred. They sold it for nine hundred and eighty thousand dollars. They got three offers on the property, and everybody's pretty happy because they had an offer date in seven days, and it sold as a traditional listing. We took the same um, exact same property on the exact same floor, the exact same floor plan, the exact same original condition to auction a week later, and we sold it for a million sixty five five hundred. We had. I think it was like 10 offers on the property prior to auction. We did a two-week lead up to the auction date. We had 60 groups through. Now, yes, we sold it for more money, but the interesting part of it that came to me is that the best buyer actually came through at the end of week two. It was yes. that paid the most amount of money. Yes. And the funny and the funny part about that is, is that 
Uh, and we started to track that with our auctions and, you know, we only do a small sample size of tracking, so it's probably not hundred percent accurate, but on the sample size that we track that have a, a good volume of interest, most good buyers come at the end of week two, beginning of week three on an, right. on an average auction lead up time. And the funny part about that is, is that 47% of the time they're the highest bidder or they're the highest offer prior to auction. So right. I can categorically say that 47% of the time in our sample size that someone's underselling a listing if they sell it within seven to 10 days. Right. So and, and, Yeah. that's And the, the key to that is understanding and setting realistic expectations for your sellers. Yeah. 100%. And so, the, the, you know, the ones, I got to be honest, a lot of my clients are not driven by, I've got to get the highest price. They, they want a, an offer that has less contingencies, which is another huge thing that we do. Um, they want an offer that they know is going to close. And what's really interesting is they would prefer it's an offer that I'm representing the buyer as well, because they, they trust me and they know that I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to make sure that they're speaking with a lender that has a track record. And I'm, I'm crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Um, you know, I've, I've often said in real estate, the more people you have involved in a transaction, the more it's like a game of telephone where you whisper into one person's ear and then they whisper into the next and the next and the next. The communication drops down. The more people that are in the mix, the more communication errors there are. And so that's the other thing I'm, I, I have to say since coming and, and, and starting to really understand auctions and really apply them. Uh, last year, 66% of my listings, I represented both the buyer and the seller. That's and huge. they were smooth. They were smooth transactions. And the big thing with that is I push transparency. I think the greatest thing that we do at Harcourts is we create an environment of transparency where the, the pre-inspections and laying it all out on the table and literally saying this is the unblemished uh, or, or, or this is the blemish-filled home inspection report. And over here is the list of the items that we did resolve. We yeah. took care of these. But the rest of these issues are real issues. And so yeah. there are things to look at. Um, I also add to that that I've had a custom home book that I've been doing for, that I started back in Minneapolis because of my architectural background. I don't understand people who sell a house without a floor plan. I just, I, 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 I don't get it. So I used to actually take three or four hours in all my listings back in Minneapolis, measuring the house, then going home on my drafting table and, and drawing the floor plans for my listings. Now I've got a guy who does it for $200. Oh my God, you know, done. And <laughs> he puts together beautiful floor plans on the properties. I get the brand name of the furnace, of the air conditioner, the year it was installed, if we can find it. I give every single possible detail. And these books are 25 to 30 pages long detailed photographs of every single room with a description and a list of all of the features of that particular room. Then I have uh, one of the pieces that people love is uh, there's a page called about the sellers. And I have the sellers answer the question that every buyer wants to know. Why are you selling? Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty of this is I used to teach real estate liability reduction courses and I'd say they're selling because of a divorce. Now, is that what you want me to tell the buyers and the sellers will say, well, of course not. Okay. How should we couch that? How would you like to describe that? And I'd like you to answer that in writing. And so that's the first question they answer. So if yeah. it's a divorce, typically people will say I'm relocating to another 
state. I am, yep. you know, I, they, they, you don't have to disclose you're getting divorced, but I don't want to tap dance around it. I want it in writing. And I want to hand it to the buyer. What improvements have you made in the property since you purchased it? Um, what attracted you to this neighborhood? I let them download all of that onto a single page and I let the buyers read that. So I don't have any, there's no opportunity for me to screw up and say something I shouldn't say. Yeah, fair. But one of the other things that I've added, I've had it in there for 30 years, gosh, I'm going up on 35 years now, um, <laughs> is what negative features, if any, does this home have that you would change if you were going to stay? And I make the sellers answer it. I, I force them. I go, no, there's got to be something you would change. Yeah. And it'll be something like, well, I, you know, we, we always wish there would have been a larger bathroom on the main floor. Okay, great. I've got a floor plan here. I can putz around with this with my architectural skills and say, yeah, here's a great place where you could expand that bathroom. When you tell the buyer what the problem is with the house or one of the things that, you know, has always kind of annoyed you, they feel so much more comfortable. It disarms the them. Yeah. It disarms them. Yeah. Yes. You're telling me everything about the property. And so I think that combined with the Harcourt structure and the fact that I commit to being the guy doing the open houses, I'm there explaining the auction process. And to be honest, the first, first year of this, every auction listing, you're spending 90% of your time explaining how the auction works, not to the buyers, but to their agent. Do you, I mean, do you see that? Do you, do you see that as an changing? Yeah. Do you see, but do you see that as an opportunity? There's two questions that I want to ask you, Jim, in this, because like you said before, just to go back to it, you have a hundred percent track record of, of selling every property that you've listed through the auction process. And, 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 and the, and the reality is, is all of those have sold prior to auction. Correct. Do you feel that you have more leverage prior to auction? Like, why is that? Well, what it does is it creates, especially in this market where the buyers, I don't know if the buyers think they're in control. They're not sure. I mean, right now, yeah. it's really hard to tell what kind of market we're in right now. Yeah. But for those who think time is on my side, it's not. And I think it was you uh, in your presentation that said, when other people are counting market time up, five days on the market, 10 days, 30 days, we're counting down. Down. And we're counting down to a very stressful potential opportunity for that buyer. I have had, in fact, my last transaction, which was my largest sale, was a $2.3 million house. And I sold it to a neighbor across the street. <laughs> and he said, this is my final offer. I am not going to go to auction. He said, this is it. Um, I want this house. My wife and I told ourselves five years ago when we moved into this neighborhood, if this house ever goes up for sale, we're going to buy it. And so he said, I'm coming directly to you. I want to make an offer that will set the sellers back on their feet and kill this thing, close this yeah. auction, end yeah. this whole thing. That And that's the mindset that a lot of them get to. They don't want to risk going and having somebody with more money or more cavalier attitude just coming in and ripping this thing out from under them. Well, I think that that's the mindset of any buyer that walks into an auction, and that allows us to do one of two things: is that the the, the other part that I that I think that you, you're so right in the sense that I think buyers don't know if they're in control or they're not. They're they're not sure right. where they stand in today's marketplace, and this ultimately does allow to have a little bit more control and leverage leading into an auction date. Because realistically, if a buyer walks into a home and there's no interest on the property at the moment, they know 
instantaneously in a traditional sale, they know if they're the only person interested or they're not. However, in Especially an auction, when the when the house is empty, yeah, where, exactly. when they go in alone. I mean, I, I'm doing the, the, in the more serious videos I'm doing, and we'll talk more about that down the road. Is I'm talking about not selling a, a, an empty house. You, you've got to stage the house. That just says duress. When you walk into an empty house, you go, "What's wrong? Divorce? Yeah. Are they losing the house? What's happening?" That's one issue. But when they walk into an open house and you're the only person there, yep. they realized, well, it's, this obviously isn't an overwhelming. And what's funny about this is my last sale was my first non-auction listing that I've had in probably three years. Yeah. And it was the worst transaction. <laughs> and I won't go into detail. I personally love that, by the way. So that's a- <laughs> I, I completely get it. But sitting in an open house for two hours, and seeing three people, yeah. and every time someone's there, they're there alone, and the house, half the rooms, because he was, you know, my, my client was so cheap, he, wouldn't, he didn't stage the rooms that really needed to be staged, so you can hear the echo. While we're standing in this empty room, it's exacerbated by the fact that there's no other bodies in there to absorb the sound. <laughs> so you're just sitting, and, and so what happened was, I felt like this desperate realtor that I used to feel like I was, Back before I started doing the auction, you know, the, the whole idea of standing at the door and literally saying to people, here's my 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 iPad mini. I need you to sign in and answer these three questions. I will need your name. I will need your phone number. I will need your email address. And I assure you, you will not hear from me for any reason other than an update on this property unless you ask me to. It's very disarming. It works extremely well. And you've got people lined up down the sidewalk. I mean, I I love playing crowd control. That is a whole different dynamic. Well, I think that let's lean into that, Jim, because there's so many people that when we talk about auction and registering people's names at the front door of that property, like, well, what happens if there's a line? I'm like, oh, my dear God, champagne problem. (laughs) Make them wait. Yes, yes, this, this idea that and there are people who will try to force their way through it and say i don't have to register to come to this open house and i say yes you do here it is in writing and i've turned it on people and said look if this were your home and you had hired me to represent you in the sale i think you'd expect me to know who is going through the property yep i mean this is this is just basic security 101 the only thing that that i've tried to start doing is bringing either my spouse or another agent to be in the house while I'm doing the crowd control sure. or having, having that person do the registration and, and getting that in. But the longer they wait, the more it, 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 it increases the anxiety over this thing. The other thing I love about it is th- there's so many layers of this, but one of the things I love about it is anybody can go see a property and, and, and pick a time to go see it that's convenient with, for them. But when they have to change their schedule, because the only time they can see it is Sunday from one to two, two or two, two, two thirty, or they can the next opportunity will be Thursday if it hasn't sold. The next opportunity will be Thursday night. Um, they're rearranging their schedule to see this house. Yeah, that is what are we always looking for in real estate? Motivation. Exactly. Is right. the motivation there? I don't want tire kickers. I want people that did take out the time to come and see this property. The other piece of this is the home book that I have, this 25-page book, is also available in a PDF format. 
So right. when an agent calls me, 90% of the calls are, please explain the auction process to me. You, 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 we can all agree to that. When you're done explaining it, they'll say, and there is a home book you can download and you can email that directly to your client. They can look at it. They'll go through the entire house. It's not video. It's, it's photographs with detailed in information about it, floor plans, mechanical, electrical, how long they've owned the house, what they've improved they've made. I'd like them to see that before they come to see the house because I don't want to waste a showing. I don't yeah. want you to waste your time. The agents love it. And the other thing that I don't know if you've discussed this is how much the co-brokers, the co-agents, after the transaction is over, go, that was so easy. Yeah. I, I, some of them go, once the offer was accepted, I, didn't, I realized I don't have anything else to do. Yeah, All we're waiting for is, is the final mortgage approval because half the time, and this is the other piece I will say about you guys, the, having an auctioneer that can get on the phone, not always with my clients, but sometimes with me when I'm looking at offers, I will say you guys have pushed me harder than I've had the courage to do it. You guys, it's, funny, it's third. It's third party though. It's it's interesting yeah. though when when you're less attached to the outcome. You, you it just it's not that we're better or we see more of it or anything along those lines. It's honestly just the third party that's not as attached to the outcome, Jim. And and I'm not saying yes. that that like even if somebody says that, well, I don't need to sell this home. You don't need to sell the home, Jim. But but realistically, is that you know the reality is having a third party in play that is less attached to the outcome has always had a little bit more of a rational thought process to where yes. everything stands. Yes, this is. This really is a business about process and you cannot attach to the outcome. I've, I've, I've taught, you know, sales seminars and all that stuff. And I tell people goal setting is great, but the goals that you should set are not income goals. They should be activity goals. Right. How many calls are you going to make a day? Right. How many letters are going to go out a week? How many, uh, uh, you know, emails, how many times are you touching your clients? That's more important then and 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 I watched one of your YouTube videos just to get a piece of this to see what these were like. And you're talking about the idea of being a hard closer. Um, <laughs> I, I look, I you close me hard, and even if I want the product, I will walk away. It's it, funny though. It, the harder you, it, it, the harder you push though, and that's why you know the the interesting element in that closing conversation that I actually get a lot of agents pushing back and. And the first question that I ask when, let's say that I'm doing a training session or I'm speaking to an agent, Jim, and I say to them, it's like, I tell them the th theory, my theory on closing. I'm like, guys, your job when it comes to closing is to make sure that you don't have an awkward moment so that therefore that they don't have a bad light shed on you at the end of the end of the process. Yeah. If you ask them at the very beginning of the appointment, how would you like me to close you today? And they're going to be like, oh, that's how, that feels bad. It's like, well, hang on, let me rephrase it. How would you like to close out this meeting so that therefore I don't do that typical sales mentality of trying to push you further than you'd like to be pushed? How would you like this meeting to close out, you will notice that this tension that is just, that is, it's this relief in that presentation. It's this relief in that conversation. But yes. I get a lot of agents that push back on this. They go, well, well, how do you get the business? No, you've got to ask for the business. You've got to do this. I'm like, no, no. Why do you think that? 
well, that's what they told me. Well, that's what they've taught. That's what I've always done. And I'm like, well, clearly you are here training at the moment because you're not at a level where ultimately you feel like you have everything accomplished. You know, it's funny how you see people push back because it's the way that it's always been done. Yes. And, and, and And it's the same as you would see with the auction side of it. And that's one of my questions to you. You're very good at dealing with, you're good, you're a people person, Jim. And you are okay and you're confident in yourself where you can deal with somebody pushing back about not liking auction. How do you deal with the naysayers or the agents that are like, oh, this is just crap or whatever it may be? How do you deal with those people? Um, The only, to be very direct about this, I've only had one person say, oh yeah, you guys do those fake auctions. (laughs) And And it was somebody I used to work with. And I said, how's that? Well, you guys never end up. And I said, no, we've got a legitimate auction facility. I said, but you have to, for me, my thought process here is, is, are the questions and the understanding I have with my seller. I was always taught, you sit down with a seller and you say, there are three things that people typically want when they sell their house. The highest price, shortest amount of time, least amount of hassle. Let me ask you really quickly, of those three, which would be the highest priority for you? And someone will go, you know, honestly, with the kids and the dog and the whole nine yards, I'm, I'm looking at this and I can't figure out how I'm going to keep the house clean, how I'm going to do all that and stuff. And so I said, so, it, and, and a spouse who travels all the time might be sitting there going, yeah, I absolutely understand what he or she is saying. They're the ones who are going to go through the pain and suffering of all this. So in that case, it might float to the top the least amount of hassle. I go, okay, great. How would you like the fact that I'm only going to ask you to leave the house for three hours a week? Yeah. You know, an hour and a half on a Saturday or Sunday and an hour and a half on a Wednesday or Thursday night. Nothing. I will be here. You can take the kids and the dog and go for dinner, whatever it's going to be. But the bottom line is we will not be doing that. And you can see them light up because essentially what they're doing is they're telling me how to. And I hate, I'm like you, Ben. Um, and in fact, the word close has always been off-putting to me. My brother is in, in stocks and, and uh, insurance and, and, and things like that. And he and I got into this conversation about sales and about closing, and, and he got so frustrated with me. And he said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you just have the wrong idea. Closing is not a bad thing. And I said, well, a hard close is. And he, and, and he finally, after about a week, he sent me this little, quick little text. And it was a definition of closing. And I really liked it because it said, closing is helping people make a decision that is right for them but they might not make without being given a push or permission. Okay. And so the whole emphasis on this was, if I really believe in a listing appointment, I'm looking at someone who's, you know, they're trying to f- figure out how to manage this house. I go, auction is going to be the way to go for you because yeah. you're, you, we can probably get this done in two, in two open houses. Yeah. And so, it sounds like that that leans me toward auction. We're going to talk about the two options and a way to do this, but right now that leans me toward auction. If they say um, shortest possible time, I say, well, that's great. You'll love ours because our system, we can set the, I'll look at the calendar. The next auction's in two weeks. If you want to push it, we can, we can have this done in two weeks. Absolutely. It might still happen faster than that. Um, if they say price, I say, well, here's the good news about price. The homes that sell the quickest it is an absolute fact are the ones that sell quickly. The homes, the, the ones that sell quickly sell for the highest price. That's just emphatically the reality. 
I did experience one property that we had an offer right away. We accepted it on a Friday over a three-day holiday weekend. The buyer never put in the following Monday or Tuesday. She never brought in her earnest money. And I, made, mm -hmm. and I made the foolish mistake of marking it as active under contract. Right. Stupid. Stupid. Right. How many years are you in this business that you don't realize you do not change that status until mm -hmm. you've got the earnest money? She walked away. And because I had to then shift it back, it, it was like reshuffling the deck and I lost the momentum that I had. So that property then, I don't want to say languished, but it, it yeah. another week went by, another week went by. We got to three days before the auction and the phone lit up like a, like a Christmas tree. Yeah. All of a sudden, everybody's submitting offers because they did not want to go they to that auction. Yeah. And so it's funny. It's funny that liminal space in between the beginning of the pop, if it doesn't happen in that beginning pop, and then the auction date, that liminal yes. space is where everyone gets a little nervous. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And again, the beauty of being able to pick up the phone, call my auctioneer, calm me down, remind <laughs> me. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I'm. I'm in a lot of ways. I've been a lone wolf speaker. I've been a lone wolf kind of. You know, I. I don't, I've, I've worked one of the, one of the great things that my affiliation with, with Craig Proctor and his organization and Howard Britton with star power, I have met the top real estate agents in North America. And I have been in the offices of two or three dozen of them. Bob Wolf was one of my consulting clients when he first, uh, he was at, I think at Remax at the time, Yeah, he was referred by another superstar, Alan Dom, who was the number one realtor, I think, in the United States for a number of years running. After I did an on-site consultation showing him how to set up his database, how to get the team working, action plans, all that, he sent me over to Bob Wolf. I spent three, four days in Bob Wolf's office. I got to see the best teams in the business. Barna, guys that were doing, Alan Dom still doing 900 transactions. Jesus, and he's on the city council. He's running for mayor of Philadelphia um, <laughs> to, to see these guys. They, they're unbelievable. They function at a level that I can't. And so I saw their businesses and said, I don't want that. I, right. I, I don't want 14 hour days, seven days a week. I, I don't. Family and, and my own interests are, are more. I want to figure out how to spend the least amount of time in this business face to face with prospects. So that I'm closing a higher percentage of it. I mean, wouldn't we, everybody love to double end all their listings? I Absolutely. Mean, it's 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 the, the check is great, but the reality is, there I believe in the win-win, but I believe in the win-win-win. Yeah. The buyer gets a fair price, the seller gets a fair price, and I add value to the transaction so that they feel comfortable. And the key to our business, we've always asked David Knox, who's a great real estate speaker, says um, the essence of what's the essence of real estate? And he says it's like rock climbing in rock climbing. The essence of rock climbing, people say, well, not to fall. No, 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 no. That's a goal. What is the essence of rock climbing? He says it's the transfer of all of your weight from your fingertips to your toes and then back to your fingertips and back to your toes. And so the essence of real estate is, you know, what, what is that essence of what we do? And I, you know, as a guy who's written courses and taught courses, I've boiled it down to this. I think the essence of what we do is we bring buyers and sellers together and then we keep them apart long enough to close the transaction. <laughs> because that That's is good. You, you, sometimes we all, we've all seen this. And 
one of the things I did not like about California real estate was escrow. We, I don't go to, you don't go to a closing. Yep. Well, in the Midwest, you go to a closing. The buyers are on one side of the table, the sellers are on the other side of the table. And sometimes that's your worst nightmare. I'm sure. The, oh, it can get, I, 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 I think like my third or fourth transaction in the business, I sold a house to a, uh, she was the first chair in the Minneapolis orchestra, married to a, she was the first chair cellist to a third chair drummer or something in there. They bought the house for me. It was a for sale by owner that I listed and sold to them. Three days after the closing, I went by to bring a, a closing gift and she greeted me at the door in tears. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, my husband left me. Oh. Three days after closing. Jeez. I went, oh, wow. And it was October in Minnesota. So I came in, sat down with her and I said, okay, um, it was your down payment that purchased the house. It was your income that carried the majority of it. Can you handle the payment for the next six months? Can you just hang on to the house? Yes. I said, okay, in the divorce, focus all of your energies on getting the house. Get the house. It was your down payment, mostly your income. He'll probably be happy to sign off on it because he doesn't want this albatross. Here are three things that I told you about this house, that if you correct them, you'll make some money on it. So we did those three things. Sold the house six months later, she made 50 grand on the deal. Oh, great. Absolutely delight. But what was interesting is when we went to sell, excuse me, then I listed a property next door, sold that. The sellers were getting divorced. So they would not be in the same room together. Oh, geez. The buyers purchased the property and then decided to divorce right before the closing. What is going on in the street? It was it was crazy. And and what the agent said is, you know, they're getting divorced, so they want out of the transaction. I said, unfortunately, there's no clause in the contract for that. And I know because I teach the contract. There is no, oh, we're getting divorced. Uh, so you have to close. So picture this. You have sellers that won't speak to each other and buyers that won't speak to each other. And we have to go to a closing table. And so what they did is they closed Chicago title. For an hour, we used four conference rooms. Oh, jeez. And the closer had to go from room to room to remember who was, you're the seller, you sign here, then to the next room. It was madness. And so coming here and getting, you know, getting into escrow and start realizing, you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't put them all in the same room together. Um, well, so it, it is, you're, you're right. It's a relationship. This is a relationship business. And I believe in relationship selling. Um, I, Bob Wolf is a perfect example of that. People don't care what you know if they don't, if they don't know that you care. Yes. And so I'm very big on my database, whether it's in blue or whether it's on my database. When I make a phone call, I take copious notes about what's going on with their kids, what's going on with their dogs, what's happening, you know, anything that's going on. The next phone call I ask about, you know, hey, well, last time we talked, you're, how's your dog? And they go, she's fine. Why? I go, well, last time we talked, you were taken to the vet. And I didn't want to hold you up. They go, wow, you've got a great memory. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> I got a five terabyte hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, Ben, I do care about what's happened to their dog. Cool. You know, I've got three of them. Yeah. And you know, next to our kids, they're, they're family. Yep. So those are the connective tissues that are there. When I was selling real estate technology, I would look people in the eye and I would say to people, I don't think this is the right product for you. That would actually get them more upset 
than me selling it to them and saying, no, I, I, I don't, this isn't going to do what you want it to do. No, exactly. you, you do that for 15 years and every year you see a lot of the same people at the National Association of Realtors convention. They walk up to me at a different booth with their credit card out and say, what am I buying today? Because they trust me. So to me, that's the key. And, and I really like the Harcourt's system because it puts me in front of, I, I'm meeting every buyer. Yep. Even when they're, I'm not representing them. Yep. I'm meeting them at the open house. They're meeting me. They're seeing my style, my presentation, my openness, um, humor, all of that stuff. They're seeing all of that. That solidifies the relationship and the, and the agents. And, and so, you know, when you get an agent going, oh, yeah, oh, you know, absolutely, the hardcore system, it's awesome. I hear that from every agent I've closed a transaction with through the auction system. They're like, I was so used to signing the contract and then for the next 10 days, scrambling to get the inspections done, get the contingencies removed and doing all that. And, and, and you forced us to do all that before we even got the, the contract signed. It makes so, so much more sense. Oh, it's, it is. I, I just basically say the beauty of the Harcourt's auction system is we compress a process that takes, in many cases, 60 to 90 days. We compress it down to 45 days. No question. And, and that's well, I, what everybody wants. I think that the the part of this is that there's there's this there's this level that you've done this from a client's perspective, Jim. But but I think that the other thing that I'm curious of as we as we sort of get to the pointy end of you and I having a conversation about all of this is that you've had a distinct knowledge of the real estate industry over a long period of time and in many different areas, and you've gotten to oversee it a lot. What has changed, if anything, in real estate? What has changed in real estate over my has 30- it changed? Yeah, has it changed for the better or the worse? Well, you know, the, the old saying, the 20-80 rule, 20% of the agents do 80% of the business. What I've seen change in real estate is that number is 95-5. 5 percent yeah. of the agents are doing 95% of the business. So it is with, with teams and all of the stuff that's going on, I've seen a, a, a I, I, I can honestly say I've seen professionalism go up. Okay. When I'm dealing with successful agents that are that understand the process and are are opaque and are communicative, so I have run into maybe out of gosh, in you know five five years with Harcourts, I've run into probably two agents out here that I wouldn't want to do business again with, okay. but most I'm I'm very impressed with. Um, knowledge of the contract, not so much. Right. Um, there's. I would say 90% of the agents out there writing contracts have never read anything beyond the 15 fields they have to click to, to select or fill out the information. Yeah, when, when, yeah when, when somebody calls and says, well, you know, your buyer, we were supposed to close on Friday and I understand they weren't able to liquidate some stocks, so we're going to be closing on Tuesday. The, the, the seller wants $500 a day for the delay in the closing. And I go, make it 1000 and, and then there's a long pause and they go, make it two grand. Let's make it two grand a day. Let's do that. And then there's a long pause and I go, did you read the contract? And they go, what do you mean? I go, there's a clause in there. It's on this. I can literally, it's on this page. It's this clause. It tells us exactly what happens with a delay of closing. It's not my job to teach that to you, but you should look it up. And then like a half hour later, they'll call me go, you mean I have to send you a form? I go, what did the contract say? Oh, God. 
And they go, well, yeah. And I go, yeah, well, it says I have to send you the form. And then from the time you receive it, you have 72 hours. We'll be closed by then. And I go, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so all of this stuff, that's, that's the one thing I'll say about the California contract. As long as it is, it has covered just about everything. And 90% of the agents don't know what's in it. They just are filling out that beginning page and the rest of it is all just kind of there floating around. Um, but I've seen, I'm seeing younger people in the business that are more tech savvy. Um, I, you know, when we talk about social media, I use it as a, just a way to be top of mind. Let's talk about your transition into that a little bit because you know it's it's something that obviously you're doing your real estate tips that are just fantastic and they and they provide that humor part. But I've noticed that you're taking a little bit more of a video sense and a bit more of an educational element to the consumer. Um, yes. So how are you how are you adapting to the social media element of it, Jim? I'm I'm building out a new Instagram page. It's at Jim Casey Realtor. Pretty okay. simple. I'm only putting the serious stuff there. And right. so that's a, a tip on whether to use a professional photographer, whether you should stage the property, those kinds of things. Um, I'm, I've made a commitment to it and, and understand I've got kids that are voiceover actors, television, you know, television actors, uh, son-in-laws that were executives at Disney and, and one who's a, a director of photography. And so I have all these tools available to me, <laughs> even though I had to scramble to find these headphones for our call. Um, so I'm going to start doing a, a series of more serious stuff. But what I do on Facebook is I just, I just constantly remind people that I'm a realtor. So it's right. Jim Casey's real estate pro tip number 15,423. People even understand that's a joke. Yeah. You know, the whole idea. And then it's got to be, and I try to make it something funny, but then I'll intermix that with something serious. I, I really prescribe to the, the concept that it is not our client's job to remember in real, that I'm in real estate. It is my job to remind them. And that's so, a really, that's a really good philosophy. That's really well said. Yeah. So, the, so, you know, I'm stealing this from, you know, every speaker that's ever been out there. I mean, with, you know, me too. there's nothing new. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what I do with Facebook to have some fun with it. It is, it's even equally fun for me to see the comments. Because it, it, everybody's trying to one-up each other with the comments, and that's when it gets really fun and engaging. Um, then, you know, I, I'm trying to pepper in some of the serious stuff, but then I'm also involved in community pages. Um, okay. I do a lot in Burbank. I'm at City Council a lot as it relates to housing issues. And so more than any other agent in Burbank, I can emphatically say that I have been there trying to protect the rights of the existing homeowners in Burbank than anybody. And I've taken arrows. I, I left the, the local association because they were a very, I, I did not enjoy the company of the group. They would tell right. us what to think and how, how to vote on things. And it was just very strange to me. So I left that, that association and now I'm with the Southland Regional and I don't go to the meetings. I mean, I just, you know, but I'm involved in the local community. I head up a group called Preserve Burbank. We started, a, a different group of people started it about 15 years ago to encourage historic preservation, which my wife and I are heavily into. Um, and because of my handyman and fix it up stuff, I love old houses. So I took over that organization after I sold the founders, sold their house and they moved out of, out of Burbank. So I, I have a high profile there. And so I, I post things on the Burbank Facebook page and I always start, every post is always another reason why I love living and selling homes in Burbank. Yes. And then I'll highlight 
a local business. Like yesterday, I, I put up Yaki's uh, teriyaki, little shack that's been there for 30 years, and I know the owner. Um, I'm a big believer in being Norm at Cheers. Um, I want I when I go to Yaki's, Harry, the owner, comes out, Jim, the usual fist bump, yeah. the whole nine yards. I'm that way at my coffee shop. I'm at, that way at my dry cleaners. I, I really believe in relationships and remind just reminding them that I'm in real estate. I, I don't. Right. I'm not constantly saying you know anybody who's thinking of buying or selling. And believe me, right now the way the market is right now, I, I feel this this anxiety to to want to push harder. And that's when I know I've got to stop. I've got to back yeah. off. So um, you had asked me, or you had told me that we we're going to talk about mentors. Yeah, um, right. One of one of my mentors is a is a Howard Brinton uh, star power, one of the stars from many years ago. His his name is Russell Shaw, and he's out of Phoenix. And Russell has been mentoring me over the phone, and we've been going through all this and having a lot of conversations. He's a lot like I am. It's not about selling; it's about relationships. He said, when you make your, you know, 20 calls a day, don't talk about real estate. Just ask about them. How are they doing? Invariably, the conversation usually ends up with them saying, hey, how's the market? What's happening, et cetera. So the consistency of staying in touch with people just by calling and saying, and when I leave a voicemail message, I'll say it's Jim Casey with Harcourt's Real Estate. That's it. That's, that's as far as it goes. I'm just checking in. It's been a while since we talked. I wanted to see if you had any questions about what's going on in the market. And I'd love to know what's love to catch up on what's happening in your life. That's it. In and out on that phone call. Try to get 20 of those out a day. So he's been mentoring me uh, in that respect, which is interesting because this is a guy who's got an ad buy of 800,000 to a million dollars a year. Really? Jeez. He's, he's a he's a he's a celebrity in Phoenix and he posts a lot of stuff. So, you know, Russell Shaw on Facebook. Yep. You yep. think I post funny stuff. Russell's <laughs> off the top. Off the charts. And and he goes all over the place. I've pulled that back on the political stuff. I just don't want to do any of that stuff. So I'll feed those to Russell and he'll post them. But <laughs> um, we had an interesting conversation about the change in the market. And he said, things are very slow. And I said, what are you doing? He said, our ad buys are not working the way they used to because my competitors are all doing it. They're all yeah. using my stuff, doing it over and over again. I said, so what are you doing, Russell? How are you adapting to this market? And he said, if I tell you... Um, we're both going to be embarrassed. And I said, why? And he goes, I'm doing what I told you to do. I'm back on the phones calling our past customers. And I've got thousands of them. And yeah. he said, just the phone call from me, just chatting a little bit, boom, something pops up and comes out of those phone calls. So we're backing off on our ad buy. We're, we're, we're really working with our past customers. Well, in this, in this market, you know, like I think that, you know, to use the term close as a dirty word, as we discussed, but to use that term that your brother sent you is that they do need a little bit of a push to give you the reassurance that now is a good time because of the low inventory and everything yep. along those lines. People do need a little bit of convincing in that sense. Yes. I want to, I want to stay on the track of mentors. And, okay. and as we round out the episode, Jim, I want to talk about, because you've you have a very good oversight of the industry as I've already mentioned is that let's talk about where do you go where where should someone go to find training in the industry at the moment like if they need some good contract training um you know you mentioned people aren't great on that you know where do where do you go external to your mentors or where have you been in order to get that training element side of side of the industry um it's been so long since I've been a new agent so you know understand I used to have to teach the contract in a 30 hour course. So I, I mean, I know the line. So 
I can't honestly tell you. I will say the person I've gone to for my CE credits and everything else has been Dwayne Gomer. Okay. Um, he's been up and it's, a, he was a speaker. He's, he has, what I like about his courses, they're all online and he teaches to the test, which let's be honest, you know, what you get for CE and continuing education has very little to do with the business. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it really has a lot more to do uh, with just making sure you're not stepping on your fair housing toes and all of those issues. So for that, I want somebody to teach me the test so I can renew it, get on and move on with things. I, I, as much as I have a hard time going to a conference, um, anytime you get a chance to go to a conference, uh, you know, I, I, I won't, you know, name drop other people, but I would, if I could get, and I think star star power is starting up again. Okay. Some of the core people are starting that up again. That's a conference that if people have a chance to go to it, I would go to it because it's realtors teaching realtors. Yep. Um, it's very different than the, the, the ones where there's the guru who's up there. This is the way I do it. It's my way or it's the highway. Instead, there are breakout sessions that are spouses selling houses. There are mom and dad, you know, mother, daughter teams. There's investment properties. And you go to these breakout sessions and you're talking to people that are really doing the business. That's the, yeah. that's the interesting thing about our industry. Most of the gurus have not touched a real estate contract for twenty or thirty years. Oh no, they're they're they're, they're philosophizing about things they think work still, or or they think will work. You know, that's what I have a I have a bit of a hard time with the Tom Ferries, the Mike Ferries of the world, with their disconnection from the industry for so long and that lack of day to day. Now they can say they deal with people on a day to day perspective that are out there doing things, but there's a different level of connection when you actually are doing the yep. deals and a different level of cadence. What about podcasts or? Or books or, or things like well, that. Well, you know, I, your... I know you were looking for me to give you something, you know, like a, the best real estate book I've ever read. Um, I have been encouraged by Russell to read the millionaire real estate agent um, that was uh, Gary Keller, founder of yep. Keller Williams. And the irony of Gary Keller was I remember when he started the company, um, I did a hands on computer class with him. And so I've met these people, Dave Linegar, the founder of Remax. I mean, Can I throw, I, let me let me throw a curveball at you. Did yeah. you know I found this out recently? Um, uh, is that Gary Keller started an auction business before he started Keller Williams? I did not know that. Yeah, it was an auction business. It was an auction business that uh, that was more more designed around um, and like I because I'm like eh, I don't it wasn't really an auction business. Like I questioned it, and then right. they actually showed me that he he literally had a genuine go at, at starting auction, and he says. The biggest challenge was is that he had a tried to do an online auction right back in the early stages yes, of, of yes. technology. I, okay. Sure, sure. Right, and he and the technology screwed up, and he got sued in a big way. And he's like, "Screw this! There's no chance I'm doing yep. this again." Yeah. So, so anyway, it was it, it, really really interesting. But anyway, sidebar. But um, but uh, the real millionaire real estate agent yes, was it? Uh, the millionaire real estate agent by uh, written by Gary Keller. Um, okay. really breaks it down into goal setting, but more activity goals. And, um, it, you know, it comes highly recommended from a lot of people that, that I really respect in the business podcasts. I honestly, I listen to stuff to just kind of, I, I, I love uh, smartless. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it my is God. so good. I did love these guys. Yeah. Did you watch, did you watch HBO series? Uh, yes, yes, oh, yes. Good. It was fabulous. As far as books go, you asked me about books. The, the book I read that I was, I was really struggling with a lot of things. And, and my daughters gave me a book called uh, Journey of Souls. Okay. And it came at the time after we'd lost my, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, and more recently, my parents, both my parents have passed. 
and it was a it's a deep dive into what happens when we when we die and right. and he's it it really worked for me because it it was not so much about religion it was more about the concept of well where were we before we came here and where will we go when we're we're done and it's it it really gave me a great deal of comfort and i really found that that helped to kind of recenter me and realize that essentially each of our lives is a Shakespearean. We, we join a Shakespearean troupe and we, we put on different plays and each time we move in our different roles. And there are some people that check out in act one and they were there because they set the foundation for act two and act three. And so journey of souls basically says that we travel in clusters, soul clusters. We travel through time and Sometimes you'll see someone, you'll meet someone that you'll go, you feel like you've always known them. And the reality is you did. You, you, you may have actually have known them in a previous life. So it, that was really centering for me and calming. I started to realize one of my big things is injustices. I, I have a very hard time with why is a child born into abject poverty and all they know for their short life is hunger and fear and how is that fair? If that's the only shot you get at this, how is that fair? Well, this book kind of explains how that works. Right. And that that's somebody that knew they were going to exit in, in Act One. And they were going to then set a foundation for the rest of that life cycle. And so that was very calming for me. The book that I will tell everybody this, because I just became a grandfather last uh -huh. week. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, very excited about it. We're delighted that they're eight blocks down the street. Uh -huh, and so good. are they. <laughs> uh -huh. I was about to say, hang on a second. Are they? <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're really big on boundaries and we're, we're absolutely adhering to that. But, and this is a tip for everybody on, you know, that listens to this. Every time one of my clients has a newborn, um, I send them the book. Uh, I, I had to write it down because I always quote it wrong. It's called Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child. Uh -huh. And I pay for it. It's 15 bucks. I get their address and I send them this book and I tell them, just going to tell you, worked for us. Every person I've sent it to that read this book got through the, the early stages of the baby waking and crying and learning how to train your child to, to sleep on their own. So I send it to all of my clients to get that. Every one of them says, thank you, thank you, thank you. How great. So again, nothing to do with real estate, no, but it's, good. it's about what they're going through. And believe me, a, you know, you got a newborn in the house, you're in survival mode. And trying to figure out how to get back to your normal life. And so that book has been um, really, really good. Uh, as far as YouTube, the stuff that I, I'm really big on do-it-yourself stuff. I, so YouTube is so fantastic. In fact, one of the videos I posted was how to change, to yeah. swap out the, uh, the water pressure meter or the water pr pressure regulator on your house. Everybody, every real, every inspector says, oh, that thing's not working, needs to be replaced. And the bids were always three, four, five, eight hundred dollars. And I'm looking at this, it's a brass fitting. And I'm looking at this going, this can't be this hard. So I just popped onto YouTube and I looked at this and said for $49, I could order the kit. All I had to have was a, a monkey wrench. Beyond that, everything else I had in my toolbox. It took me a half hour to do it. I could do it now in about three minutes if I didn't do yeah. it again. And so that's this. I like being able to do that. And I do some of that for my clients. I mean, yeah. I do have clients that are like, oh, you got somebody who can fix that gate? And I go, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And, yeah, they, yeah, and yeah. some of them are just blown away by that. Some of them, as my wife has said, you know, sometimes I think they might think you're 
you're you're diminishing your role as a realtor. Yeah, and I go, is, well, sometimes it's if I can't get them to do it and it's the front gate, the first thing that people are going to experience when they come to see the house and that's hanging by a thread, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> but also, but then it's also you're managing the experience that they have because most of the time, unless you have somebody that's an incredibly trusted person that's done hundreds of things for you, most of the time they people turn up late, they miss the expectations, they don't do it right, and that's a poor reflection of yes. you. Then hopefully, then you can control that situation. And, and that's another huge thing, Ben. To have every real estate agent who listens to this had better start building out their their rolodex because my clients are constantly calling for a plumber. Somebody who can fix a dishwasher, somebody who can. And, and so having those people, my gardener, my, you know, all of these people, my handyman, my handyman, you know, I've kept him so busy and he's a, you know, he puts me as a priority. He'll pull off of another job to come over and get a handful of things done that are just simple little things that, that eliminate the objections. I'm very big on that. I don't want the first thing they see when they come up to the house is that the screen on the front door is torn. Let's, yeah. let's fix that. And yeah. if that's going to take a couple more days to get that done, and if I have to take the screen off myself and take it over to Woody's and drop it off and have them rescreen it, I'm going to do that. Yep. Um, the beauty of the business that I built, although I still want it to grow and I want it to grow and I want it to grow, is that I don't make promises I can't keep. Yep. Um, I don't, I'm not constantly overwhelmed with, with you know, 18 balls in the air. Um, I'm in incredibly you don't want to see my desk that's why we've just you know got the, you know, <laughs> my desk is a mess but my database is perfect i i am so organized in the way i i track my calls with my customers i'm, I'm still i just last night i just printed out uh, you know 450 of these and it's old school i'm gonna pay first class postage and i do that four times a year to 420 people and every mailing that goes out turns into a listing or a sale and so I do a lot of things just repetitively and consistently. That's, and that's the other key with me is consistency is in discipline or, or heavy baited me. <laughs> so I have to write stuff down. I have to put it down. I have to commit to it. And um, that consistency is how your business will. I, I don't believe I've seen enough people in this business that come in with a ton of money and they throw a ton of advertising at it. They're on the park benches. They're on the, the shopping carts. They're on the bus benches there. And, and in a year and a half, they're gone. 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 Yeah. They threw a ton of money at it thinking that it was all going to catch really fast. And it doesn't. It's a slow. Yeah, but, also, it, it, but also then they can't execute on the opportunities that it presents itself as well. Right. The only thing worse than not having a call is not getting back to somebody who called. I think that's, that's critical. And I, I, I listen to Bob Wolf all the time. He goes, number one, answer your phone. And I know 90% of the people on the phone, you know, they're out listening and we're going, my phone's not ringing, Bob. <laughs> That's not my problem. I will answer the phone. I just don't have enough people calling me. How do I do that? How do I get that to happen? And it is a slow build. I, I, I just don't think this is a business that, that for a lot of people is a flip of the switch and you're killing it in your first year. I hear those stories, and then when I start to look behind the scenes, I find out they've been in the community their entire lives. Yeah, their family exactly. is extremely connected. They've, you know, they they had listings from brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Beverly Hills, I've I've always giggled when I've showed houses there. Nine out of ten 
the listing agents that go, hey, how'd you get the listing? Oh, it's my uncle. Oh, it's my, my yeah, aunt. Yeah. It's <laughs> my dad's. It's my parents. They're these young kids and they look dapper as can be. And the reality is they're connected. And so, you know, when I, when I was interviewing new agents to the business, I go, how connected are you? And if you're not, how willing are you to go out of your comfort level yeah. to start meeting strangers? And, and I do it at the car wash. I don't sit on my phone at the car wash. I sit down next to somebody and I start up a conversation. And, you know, the last, my last client from that, I listed and sold their house and uh, double ended the listing on that and sold them another house. It was a total of almost 4 million in transactions just because of instead of looking at my phone at the car wash, yeah. I started a conversation with a young man and that led to him asking for my business card. So real estate license is a license to be outgoing. That's it. Bottom line is you've now been given permission to open conversations with people. And that has worked very well for me. Well, I think that you're a testament to the industry um, and done right. Uh, I appreciate you being so open and I've been, I've really enjoyed getting to know your story a little bit more, Jim. So again, as we round out the episode, I just want to say thank you for being on Rethink Real Estate, but also thank you for the way that you've been art- able to articulate and facilitate the auction process. Um, I think that uh, you, uh, you make us all very proud within the network. So thank you again. All right. My pleasure. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us, and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.